Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. It's time to play the But the sports talk doesn't stop. Sports talk radio that's live, local, and not for the faint of heart. Oh, you didn't know? Sometimes angry. Loud noises! Telling it like it is. You insulted him a little bit. You got a little out of order yourself. And pretty much always right. Don't ever argue with the big dog. Big dog is always right. Text or call 404-741-0929 and be part of the show. Well, we're waiting from the Kia Studios. It's time for the John Chuckery Show. Serving you up sports on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. And welcome into Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Yes, it is time for the John Chuckery Show. Hanging out with you in the Kia Studios on this Tuesday evening with you for the full four. We ask you to download the Odyssey app. You're not in the car as much. You want to listen in. Put the Odyssey app on one of your devices today. Take your smartphone, take your Alexa speakers, take your tablet, take your Game Boy, take your Nintendo 64, take your Atari 5200, whatever your device is, just download on something to be able to catch us when you are on the go. Social media is at 929 The Game on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And as always, best way to be a part of the show, follow us on our personal Twitter pages. You can reach me at JMCH316. That, of course, your water cooler talking points three to six months in advance of anybody else that is out there. He is back for the first time in like three weeks producing the show. Yes, the man who got promoted to do this show is back and on the airways with me. Dylan is in the house at underscore Dylon Matthews, of course. Dylon. We're waiting. Dylon. Dylon, Dylon, and Dylon. Where's the audio? I didn't have it ready. Oh. Well, because you haven't produced in so long. I mean, I know I forgot how to right, do it. Exactly. You forgot how to do my own show. So, I mean, listen, and your own intro, for God's sake. So, all right. Um, again, as we like to say, in the, uh, to quote Jim Ross, bigger than a fruit merchant tonight. So, we got, uh, uh, I should say, busier than a fruit merchant tonight. Uh, we got a whole bunch to get into. We're watching the college football playoff poll. So, obviously, we get ready for championship week in the world of college football. A couple just really quick thoughts about all of this. Um, Georgia's in the playoff. Michigan is in the playoff. And I think TCU's in the playoff as well. Um, so, and I think win or lose, all three of those teams are in the playoff when all is said and done. From there, you know, Southern Cal will be four. I'm guessing probably Ohio State five, even though here, here's what I said on TV on Sunday night. Maria Martin asked me who, who I'd put in the five spot. I said nobody. Nobody deserves to be in the five spot. I'm not putting Tennessee or Alabama or Ohio State in the five spot. Nobody should get the five spot right now. It should be a blank space, and then you can put Tennessee and Ohio State at six, and then you can put Alabama at seven. And I'm not putting Alabama ahead of Tennessee when they lost head-to-head. At some at this time of the year, okay, week three, we might have a discussion. At this time of the year when there's 12 games that have been played, head-to-head should be over anything else. Since we don't have championships and everything else yet and who's won their conference and this, that, and the other. It should be the head-to-head uh, out of all of it. So we'll give you the results of the uh, of the college football playoff poll here as we're getting ready for a championship uh, Saturday coming up here. Actually, I guess it starts on Friday, right? Normally the Pac-12 uh, championship is on Friday night. So uh, tough loss for the Falcons. Oh, I thought they played well. I thought this was going to be a slugfest, physical, tough grinding game. I thought the first to 21 would win. Kind of played out like that. 
you know, I, it's disappointing but not surprising. That was a tough spot for the Falcons to go up there against a good Washington team, try to find a way to win. Uh, so Notre Dame, by the way, drops to 21, so we'll keep you up to date here about what we've got. But 19-13, um, they lose. We'll get more into this game in the next segment. We will talk at 740 to our friend of the show, Tori McElhaney. She will join us. Uh, no show tomorrow with uh, Hawks, and then uh, we got Atlanta soccer tonight coming up afterward. By the way, that'll come up after us even tonight as we'll talk about the World Cup just a second here. But um, uh, Tori will join us at 740. We'll get her thoughts about uh, what we saw and then get ready for Pittsburgh. Now you're in must-win mode. Now we are in must-win mode. If we're going to talk playoffs and all that kind of stuff, you have to beat a bad football team on your home field. Okay, Pittsburgh went up, got a nice win last night over the Colts, but now it's must-win for the Falcons. Can't monkey around with some of these other games. So if you're going to tell me you're going to be in the playoff mix, and that's what we keep hearing, right, it's playoff, 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 then they need to win on Sunday and beat a very mediocre Pittsburgh Steelers team. So it's not played well um, this year at all. And, of course, they have their rookie quarterback that they're – trotting out there and hucking it all around. So um, we'll talk to Tori McElhaney coming up at 740. We did get some good news today as USA took care of Iran one to nothing. Now, this is only the second best USA versus Iran matchup. Because the, the number one matchup all time was, of course, January 1984 when Hulk Hogan pinned the Iron Sheik and Hulkamania was born. Now, to be fair, D- Dylan... Um, this song is most associated with Hulk Hogan, but this was not his theme in 1984. You know what his theme was? What was that? Eye of the Tiger. Oh. Because remember, Hogan was Thunderlips in Rocky Three, and he used Eye of the Tiger as his entrance music. But then, obviously, a few years later, Rick Derringer put this up. But this, this is the this is the official Hulk Hogan theme. I am a real American. There you go. But, I learned something new today. Yep. So, uh, good win for the USA. Um, it only took the one goal. That's all that matters, right? Doesn't matter how or what you do. As long as you win, they're on to the round 16 now, round of 16. Do we know who they're going to play next? The Netherlands. The Netherlands. Yes, okay. I believe. I'll double-check that, but okay. I'm 99.9% sure it's Netherlands. Okay. I'll uh, look up and see if any wrestlers have ever come from the Netherlands so we can get that uh, that matchup. Because we had, uh, um, obviously, we had the Rock versus the British Bulldog. Uh, the other day, um, and then, of course, we had Hogan versus Sheik in uh, in today's matchup. So, anyway, good for the USA. They get to the round of uh, 16. Um, Excuse me, they're playing uh, Holland. Holland. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if there's any wrestlers that came from Holland. I'm yeah, going to have to look know. that up so, and find out for sure. Uh, Hawks lose their third in a row last night. They get ready for Orlando tomorrow. We'll talk some Hawks basketball at 9 o'clock, but... I said 13 and 6 over this 19 game stretch that started last Wednesday. Started out good, right? Started out good. They beat the Sacramento Queens and now they've lost three in a row. Lost to the Heat, lost to the Sixers, and lost to the Houston Rockets of all teams. So got to get it back on track. I said 13 and 6. They're 1 and 3 so far in this 19 game stretch to end the calendar year. So. A lot of things just don't seem like they're going right right now for for the Atlanta Hawks. You know, they just they they look a little bit lost at times out there. By the way, they had leads of what sixteen, eleven, and sixteen in these three losses. They've blown double digit leads in all three of these games. So yeah, not um, not what you want, but uh, they'll get back at. And look, um, 
Where's Orlando at here in the world of uh, NBA basketball? I mean, Orlando obviously not one of the not one of the better teams uh, in the uh, in the Eastern Conference or in the NBA as far as as far as that goes. They are five and sixteen. Can we go beat a five and sixteen team tomorrow night in Orlando? They're the they're the second worst team in the Eastern Conference, and that's because Detroit has one more loss than what they do. Okay. You have to go and beat the Orlando Muckicks because that's what they do is they just muck it up down there. So not good for the Hawks. We'll talk about that coming up at uh, 9 o'clock. Um, Brent Key looks like he's going to get the tech job. So this has been a lot of rigmarole for Georgia Tech in this. And I'll talk more about this in the college football roundup, but I'm not inspired by the key hire. Is it better than Bill O'Brien? Yes. I'd much rather have Key than I would Bill O'Brien. I'd rather have Jamie Chadwell, but okay. But if we're not in the mix for those guys, the the Willie Fritz, all right. I mean, he had a couple of decent years at at, at Southern, went to a bowl game, had a really good this year, you know, year this year for Tulane, but they stunk. I mean, they've basically been a, you know, they they've they've barely made bowl games and they're barely a six and five team a few different years. And last year they were awful and they turned it around. I give him credit for that, but it's not like he's put not like he's gone to that level and put together any sort of consistent winner. Where was he before that? Sam Houston State, I think, was the first coaching head coaching job that he got. So um but listen, good for Key. Uh now you gotta recruit. I mean, you know, this is reality for tech. You can't recruit Jameer Gibbs, coach him up, get him make him into a, a really good player, and then watch him walk out the door and head to Alabama. Because you can't replace those kids. They they don't have the talent pool to just grab a kid out of the bag and say, okay, we're going to put you put you right back in all, all of this. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's a terrible hire. I, I'm not super inspired by Key and what, what he brings uh, to all of this. So, we'll see. I mean, look, this is going to be – Here's the thing. What's going to be the expectation for Tech next year? So he's four and four, right? And and he had some nice wins and some bad losses. Because North Carolina, really good win. Thought they played well against Georgia, right? But the Virginia loss was dreadful. You Miami hadn't scored a touchdown in nine quarters, and you gave up five to an awful Miami offense. They're all Miami's awful. There's only one way to describe Miami. They're awful. Their offense is awful. You gave up five touchdowns to them. So there's good. You know, yes, they beat Pitt and Duke in back-to-back weeks. I'm going to tell you, part of that is that's sort of what happens when you change coaches mid-year. The emotion of playing for the new guy, playing for your spot and all that kind of stuff, you know, you you get that adrenaline bump those first couple of weeks. Then reality comes. Because the week after that was the Virginia game. And actually, I think they had a bye week between Duke and Virginia, if I remember right, where they lost 16-9. to So, again, I I don't really have a big problem with the hire, but it sort of is what it is for me. Um, I'm not super, super excited, but we'll see. I mean, if he can recruit and bring kids in, because that's the number one thing that Jeff Collins did not do enough of. And, by the way, you know, this idea of I, – I know that there's NIL and transfer portal and all that kind of stuff – Tech's going to have to get boots on the ground and recruit kids. By the way, look at the city that you're in. Anybody notice what city that they play in? Go go throw it. You cover high school football. Oh, yeah. Pick up a rock in the parking lot 
heave it as far as you possibly can, and you hit everything from half a dozen three stars to five stars to four stars. And Tech's not going to get five stars. I get all that. But Tech can still get plenty of kids in. Do you remember Do you remember guys like, I don't know, let's see, Calvin Johnson. You remember in basketball, Stephon Marbury and Kenny Anderson? Remember when those kids could get into Tech? Okay. If you want good kids, I'm not saying you're going to get five stars. You want good kids, you can find good kids to play at Tech. And you know what you tell them? We're going to own Thursday night in the downtown Atlanta. You're going to play ACC games, downtown Atlanta, skyline backdrop at one of the most historic fields in college football history, and you're going to get a chance to play there on a Thursday night in prime time, unopposed, with a national audience watching it. That's what you tell your kids. They need to go back to owning Thursday nights. So we'll see. Um, but I, I didn't see the money, by the way. I'm curious to see what kind of money he gets uh, out of all of it. But I had heard that they were willing to go maybe as high as $4 million for a coach. I'm not guessing he got a big bump, but he probably got something. So, all right, here's uh, what we've got for the uh, college football playoff poll. Um, K-State's at 10, Clemson at 9, Penn State at 8, Tennessee at number 7, Bama at 6, Ohio State at 5, uh, Southern Cal at 4, TCU at 3, Michigan at 2, Georgia at 1. So zero surprise about how the top six shook out. Not even surprised really at 7, 8, 9, 10 either. Um, I'm still a bit surprised that Tennessee is behind Alabama. Um, they beat them straight up head to head. I mean, but I don't know. Anyway, um, like I said, I wouldn't have anybody at five. Ohio State doesn't deserve to get in the playoff. Alabama certainly doesn't get to deserve to get in the playoff. Tennessee doesn't deserve to get in the playoff. None of those teams, Ohio State included, none of them deserve to get in the playoff. So if if Michigan, TCU, Georgia, all three of those teams should be win or lose, you're in at this point. You went through it. You went through. I mean, TCU should not get punished heavily for having to go beat a team a second time in a championship game. They've already beaten Kansas State once. It's not like they didn't get to play them during the regular season. They play those teams in the Big 12. So they've already beat them once, beat them by 10. They were down in the first half, outscored Kansas State 21-0 in the second half that game. They should not get a a huge penalty for not beating the same team twice in a year. They've already beat them once when they had to. So we'll see what uh, what happens out of all of it. So anyway, that's your that's your top ten in the uh, college football playoff poll. All right, when we get back, that call by Arthur Smith at the end of the game got me thinking. I was back in 1996. I don't know, not that kind of 96. Not, not that 96. Not, not I'll explain it all next in about five minutes. Chuck Green, the Kia Studios. Sports Radio after the game. Odyssey.com app. So who is this person? It's John Chuckery. Are you sure? Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Back with the John Chuckery Show. Hanging out in the Kia Studios Tuesday night with you. 404-741-0929. That is our Solomon Brothers Diamond text line if you want to be a part of the show. Odyssey app is how you catch us when you're on the go. Social media is at 9 the game on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 
And, of course, you can follow us on our personal Twitter pages at JMSH316 at underscore Dylan Matthews. We will uh, talk to our friend of the show, Tori McElhaney, coming up here in about 20 minutes from right now as we get into some Falcons football. So, I joked before the break that that call by Arthur Smith reminded me of 1996. Here's why I say this. This was my problem with the call, okay, which obviously was on second down, second and goal from the four-yard line. This was my problem with passing the football in that situation. What's the number one thing that the Atlanta Falcons do well offensively? Okay, all the different things that you can do offensively. The number one thing that they do well is running the football, right? Nobody would dispute or argue with that. In 1996, do you remember the Braves and the Yankees World Series? Do you remember when Mark Wohlers gave up the game-winning home run to Jim Leyritz? And it turned out that Wohlers threw like his fourth best pitch. Remember all that? Like like Leyritz, Leyritz didn't hit a 100-mile-an-hour fastball right down the middle of the plate. He hit Wohlers whatever he threw, like – That was his third or fourth best pitch, right? And this is my thing. If you're going to get beat, get beat with your best. And the Falcons dropping back and throwing it is not what's best for them. Okay? You have three downs to get four yards. And you were averaging over four and a half yards a carry in that final drive, almost six yards a carry for the game at that point. When you do anything that is not your best, then you're asking for trouble. I don't care that Patterson was open. I don't care that Payne made a play. It's still not your best play call. Your best play call in that situation is to do what your offense does best, and that is line it up, run it over the right-hand side of your offensive line, run behind Lindstrom, run behind McGarry. No shock that Chris Lindstrom is once again the highest-graded offensive lineman for the week in pro football focus. He's now the second-highest-graded offensive lineman in the NFL behind Trent Williams. That's it. Here's the top two-graded offensive lineman in the NFL that relates to the Falcons. Trent Williams is one, Lindstrom two. End of list. And that's your best play. Run it behind with a battering ram of a running back in Patterson, with Algier, with Huntley. I don't care which one of those guys got the football. But that's your best play. It's always your best play. And when you deviate from that, then those are the kinds of things that can happen. Dylan, can you remind me of all of the times that we have heard in Marcus Mariota's seven years in the NFL all of the game-winning drives, the game-winning plays. Do they refer to him as Marcus Ice? No. Okay, why'd they call him Matty Ice? Because he was clutch, and he led us to – he has like the eighth or ninth most uh, game-winning or game-tying touchdown drives or drives. So we don't hear that a lot out of – we don't hear that a lot out of the current quarterback, do we? No. Okay. So it's not like that our quarterback – now – what if I said that same play call was run by Drew Brees or Aaron Rodgers? I like our chances a little bit better. Uh, okay, right? Yeah. Uh, what What if I said that 
we had Tom Brady under center and we made that same call. Then, yeah, I think that's the right call. Okay. That's our best. Okay. But our best is not number one dropping back and throwing it in any scenario. I don't care what the scenario is. That's never our best offensive play. I mean, think about it. We've had guys running wide open 50 yards downfield that we haven't caught, right, that we couldn't make a play on. It's not our best play. That's the part that bothers me. And that's like Mark Wohlers in 1996 getting beat with his third best pitch. If you're going to go down and you're going to lose, lose with your best. Don't lose because you threw a changeup down the middle of the plate. Don't lose because you have your quarterback drop back and try to throw it. Lose because my running backs, whichever one you want to pick, pick any one of those running backs. We lose because we couldn't gain a few yards on my best run-blocking offensive lineman on that side of the field with my running backs trying to batter it in. And that's the part that frustrates me about it. Now, look, Falcons did a really good job running the football. Their run defense was religious. You know, ask me, Dylan, why I say it was religious. Why do you say that? Because it's very holy. (laughs) So, was not a good day on their run defense. But again, they only scored 19 points. And and what do we say? Four to six plays in a game is what decides it, right? The interception before the half by Michael Walker, that's a play. Check mark in the box for the Falcons. The pass on second down at the goal line, that's a negative for the Falcons. That goes in the commanders. And then a running into the kicker penalty when they're going to punt, guess what? That goes in the re- – so when you start playing the – Four to six plays, who got the most check marks in their box? It's Washington. That's how close that game was. Was it? I mean, here's the reality. We're, we're in division mode or bust now. Forget the wild card and all that stuff. It's, it's not a matter of how many games back we are. I, I, I say this all the time. It's not a matter of how many games we're back. It's a matter of having to jump multiple teams in front of you. And they're going to play and win and lose and all this kind of but you, But you have to have... Other things out of your control. We can control the division. We can beat the Saints. We can beat the Buccaneers and control our division. And go look at the Buccaneers' schedule. They have to go to San Francisco. They have to go to Arizona. They have the Bengals yet that they have to play. And have you seen how the Buccaneers have played lately? They lost in overtime this past weekend in Cleveland. What was the stat that I saw? That's the first overtime touchdown Cleveland has scored in 20 years or something ridiculous like that. So they've not played well. Now, again, when you talk about wild card, you're talking about jumping multiple teams. Dylan, ask me how many teams you have to jump to win the division. How many? One. You only have (laughs) one team that you have to jump. Now, I know math is a new thing with how they teach it. But when I was growing up, one was less than two. If you have to jump over two teams, that's more than having to jump over one. It could be changed. I don't know. New math is a is a you know interesting thing today. I think that's still the the same thing. You think it still is? I think so. One is still less than two. I think so. Okay. I haven't I mean, been in school in a while it, either. It's but, a you know. it's a new cultural world, and you know you might insult some group if you say one or something like that. You know, because oh, that that's isolated. You know. <laughs> 
I'm sure there's somebody offended by saying the number one because everybody's offended at everything in the world. But anyway, so I thought the Falcons played well. I, I mean, that was a slugfest. Look, the offensive line played really well. I thought Arthur Smith schemed their running game very effectively, staying away from Jonathan Allen. I thought Drew Dahlman played well. Lindstrom was outstanding. Caleb McGarry was fine. Uh, you know, Jake Matthews is like one of the top five run-blocking tackles in the NFL right now. He's been about middle of the road. He's like 12th, 12th or 14th in pass blocking. But he's like top five or six in run blocking this year. Again, that their offensive line played well, right? I am a little bit concerned about the pass rush. It seems like that at this point, the only quarterbacks that we sack and put on the ground are guys that take a lot of sacks. Justin Fields takes a lot of sacks, okay? Joe Burrow takes a lot of sacks. But these other guys that we play that don't take as many sacks, we don't always find a way. Now, look, it didn't help that Evacati had to go out of that game. I think he played nine snaps in the game. He had been battling a forearm injury, re-aggravated it. That didn't help. And can I say, I said this weeks ago. Dylan, you weren't here because it was one of our shows. So it's time for Ogundeji to not be the starter. It's time for Ebikati to start. Ebikati should start every game the rest of the year. Because he is our best pass rusher. He's our best chance of disrupting stuff. He's our best chance of getting after the quarterback. I don't need to see anything more out of Ogundeji. Ogundeji has one sack on the year, right? Do you know that he does not have another registered quarterback hit? So he's outperformed Stephen Means by a sack. But that sack is the only hit on a quarterback that he has. So, look, this is must win now for the Falcons Sunday against Pittsburgh. Because if not... I don't want to hear about playoffs and all this other muckety-muck and stuff like that, okay? Because you're getting further and further away. Was Sunday a winnable game? The way it played out, yes. I was not very confident going into that game, but the way it played out, yes. But that was very much a swing game, very much a we could lose, we could win. You're at home where you've played well against a mediocre football team in the Pittsburgh Steelers. You have to win this weekend. And – you win, you go into your bye feeling good, and then we'll see in a couple of weeks. But Sunday becomes must win if we're going to talk playoffs and all that. And by the way, if they lose on Sunday, they're not playing Desmond Ritter. I don't care what freak he says, because I know he's on the Desmond Ritter train. John Freaky? Yes, him. They're not, they're not playing. I'm, I'm telling you. There's a better chance that Desmond Ritter never never sees the field this year than he does see the field because the division is going to come down toward the end of the season. The division, the the race in the division is going to come down to the very end. I, if you told me to bet a dollar right now, I would tell you that you will not see Desmond Ritter play a game for the Atlanta Falcons this year. Which, again, if that's what it is, then that's what it is. Then you got to make sure you call the right plays for your quarterback. You don't put your quarterback in danger. Oh, can we update our tote board? Can we update our tote board? So the Falcons now, let's update our tote board. When Marcus Mariota has 20 or less pass attempts, they are 4-1. and one. 
The only game they lost where he threw it under 20 times was the Bengals game. And they would not have won that game if he threw it five times or 50 times. Wouldn't have mattered. They weren't going to beat the Bengals on that Sunday with the way Burrow was playing and all of our injuries in our secondary. Remember, we had that's the game where we had to bring Carnell Armstrong in and line him up on Jamar Chase, which looked like Charles Dimry playing against Jerry Rice back in the early mid-90s. When they throw it, when they have 21 or more attempts, they're now 1-6. and six. I know, I understand, random happenstance, pure coincidence, nothing to see here, no correlation, no nothing like that. Even though it's the exact dividing line of everything that goes on with their offense. When it's this number, 800 winning percentage. When it's this number, it's what's one divided by seven? Not much, huh? That math, I don't know. Yeah. I have to do a calculator with that yeah. one. Yeah. What's one divided by seven? One divided by seven is 0.14 and a whole bunch of numbers after that. Okay. So it's a 14% chance of winning when we throw it 21 times. It's 80% chance of winning when we throw it under. Which one of those numbers do you like better? I like 80% oh, better. Oh, okay. Okay. Who, by the way, has told you that all year long and given you that number? I think it will be uh, you, John oh, Tuckery. Okay. All right. Just wanted to be sure I figured out who all that stuff was. So. Short, quick route, Yep. one read, throw. Uh, uh. Go ahead and hit it up. Hit it up one more time. Hit it up one more time for us. It's very simple. Yep. Short, quick route, yep. one read, throw. Yep. Short, quick route, one read, throw. We need to this set that extended to version. Here okay. Give me oh, a this beat. Is the Actually, version. we have a beat. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Tell me when I should start. Okay, here you go. All right. Short, quick route, uh. one read, uh. throw. Okay. Uh. Short, uh. yeah. Quick you know route, yeah. one read, yeah. Short. You know who followed me on Twitter the other day, Dylan? Who's that? Goody Mob followed me on Twitter the other day. Really? Yeah. They heard yeah. this, and they was like, we well, need to sign this man. They were in studio one of the days I was working with Steak. They were in with Andy and Randy. So I guess they looked at me, and they said, look, there's the hip-hop king. So exactly. <laughs> let's get his let's get his takes on everything. So anyway. All right. When we get back, Tori McElhaney is going to join us. Since we don't have a show tomorrow, we'll talk to her tonight. We'll get into some Falcons and Steelers. We'll look back at the game against Washington. It's all next. Chuck Rinnakia Studios. Sports Radio 99 The Game. Odyssey.com app. John Chuckery. This party's going to rock. Make some noise. Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. I see out too late. Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. It is the John Chuckery Show coming to you live on this Tuesday evening as we get ready for Falcons and Steelers coming up this weekend. So, as we don't have a show tomorrow night, we head out to the waitford.com hotline. Normally, we talk to her on Wednesdays, but again, with no show tomorrow, we will talk to her tonight. Tori McElhaney is joining us. She, of course, covers the Atlanta Falcons for atlantafalcons.com. You can follow her on her personal Twitter page at Tori underscore McElhaney. Tori, as always, appreciate a few minutes a day early, but, uh, you know, that was a tough one on Sunday. I knew it was going to be physical, but... You know, I thought the Falcons played well, but just, you know, kind of did not come out the way we had hoped. 
Yeah, I, I go back to that final drive and to feel like that final drive was one that the Falcons, I thought, really got things going for what felt like the first time offensively in the second half. To have it end on a tipped ball in the end zone, I mean, that guys kept saying it was unfortunate, it was unfortunate. That was the word that kept coming up after the game. And, I mean, that's kind of – that's all you can say about that, honestly. You know, this is my problem with the call. Um, because I, I would have much, much preferred to run the football down there. I just feel like, you know, obviously this offense, and especially the right side of their offensive line, the best thing that they do is run block and move forward. And it feels like anything else that you do, I know the play was open, but anytime it's not run it toward the right-hand side of your offensive line, there's nothing better that this offense does than that. And it feels like anytime you call something else, you're getting away from what you do best. And down there, you needed what you do best, not roll the dice on, you know, some other type of play when they got that close. Yeah, I mean, I I think a lot of people can go back and forth and say a lot of different things about the call. And I'm not going to be one of those people I don't, uh, that's not something that I do. They call what they call because they think that it's going to work. And I, I think there's not a coach out there that would tell you otherwise. And um, But it is one of those things where it is a little bit frustrating because you know how good the Falcons are at doing exactly what you're saying. And then to have a look that you think, you know, you can get something else in it. I mean, it is, I don't know, there's just not a lot that I feel like I can say to make anybody feel better about what happened and then that's just kind of how I feel about it you you like I think Arthur Smith said after the game you like the look but you hate the outcome and and that's kind of all you can really say about it especially if you're not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and say like oh they should have called this or they should have called that I'm not the play caller I don't I don't do that and so um that's just kind of how I feel about it Tori McElhaney from AtlantaFalcons.com joining us here on the WaitFor.com hotline Let's talk about one guy in particular, and that's Chris Lindstrom. And I am probably the president of the Chris Lindstrom fan club, have been since he's been drafted. Um, You know, you start diving into his metrics, Tori, and I don't know how much you get excited about metrics and analytics and things like that. But he's now now the second highest graded offensive lineman in the entirety of the NFL. He's certainly the highest graded interior offensive lineman, um, but he's the second highest graded overall. He's having not a good season, an outstanding season. And it feels like for all the things we talk about, available cap space and things like that next year, one of the things that I would think would have to be number one priority is go ahead and get Lindstrom locked up to his long-term deal and don't mess around and don't monkey around with it. Just get it done and make sure he is signed for the long term. I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, you have to reward that guy with what he deserves and the last and I would say even you know we we see what he's doing this season and how spectacular it's been of a season for him and how consistent he has been but even going back to last year I was so pleased with what you saw from Chris Lindstrom last year I mean even with the issues that the Falcons offensive line had last year I believe he was Chris Lindstrom was the only guard in the NFL that didn't allow a single sack like And this was last year when Falcons were having the issues they were offensively and, and at that offensive line position. Now this year you have an offensive line that I think has, is playing night and day from what they were this time last year. And a big part of that is not just 
Chris Lindstrom continuing to do what he he's doing. But I think Chris Lindstrom is thriving as much as he is because Caleb McGarry, I think, has taken such a significant step in what he's been able to do at that tackle spot. And, and then you have Jake Matthews, who's as consistent as anyone on the left side. And then, I mean, even with all of the issues that you've had at left guard and essentially having to rotate that position so significantly over the last five weeks, the fact that the core of your offensive line has played to the clip that they've been able to and kind of taken it upon themselves to anchor this run game in a way that I don't know that we've seen in Atlanta in a very, very long time. I mean, that speaks volumes to these people, to these five men, whoever it is, every time that's going out there. But Chris Lindstrom in that, he is, I believe, the core of that. And you love watching him play because you see it on every single snap how good he is how how important he is to this Falcons offense and where they want to grow it Tori when we talk about the playoff picture are we about at the point where this is division or bust for the Falcons because I keep looking at the playoff scenarios and you start to get into as the schedule gets down, even though the Falcons aren't many games out, when you start having to talk about jumping multiple teams versus just one team in the division, it feels like we're kind of at a point where the real only pathway for the playoffs is really through winning the division. Yeah, it is. And I mean, especially when you look at, you know, when you look at the league as a whole, that, that kind of, it makes it even more, poignant that you win your division that is the easiest way to get into the playoffs is to win your division and I it's so crazy looking at this NFC South right now and the different ways that it could shake out over the last six seven weeks or six seven weeks of this season I I mean it's wild to me because after the game on Sunday you you're thinking okay well the Falcons are probably they're probably out of this thing. And then Tampa Bay loses, and and there isn't really any big shift. And you're just like, well, they're still in it. And it's, it is really, really crazy. And I, I do think that there's a potential that this comes down all the way to the very last week of the regular season when Tampa Bay comes to Atlanta. That game could be absolutely massive in terms of what it does to the final rankings in the NFC South. I mean, it's going to be – these next few weeks after the Falcons' bye week, especially if they can get a win against the Steelers, is going to be very, very interesting. Tori McElhaney from AtlantaFalcons.com joins me here on the WaitFord.com hotline. It's a weekly conversation with her, normally on Wednesday, but with no show tomorrow night. We're grabbing her a day early as we get ready for Falcons and Steelers coming up this Sunday at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So you and I have dove into this a lot, but – I'm really, my personal opinion, I'm really starting to feel like, you know, this team can accumulate sacks against quarterbacks who are good about giving up sacks. The Justin Fields, the Joe Burrows of the world. But they're just not getting home consistently enough. And I know we're not a big blitz team. I mean, the metrics tell you we're one of the lower blitzing teams in all of the NFL. But And I know Coach Pease will speak on this on Thursday, but I, I'm – I get concerned because we just don't get after the core. Unless it's a quarterback who is taking sacks just in general, we don't seem to put enough pressure on the quarterback still at this point. Yeah, I think my thing, though, is is I'm not overly concerned about it because I don't think it's not that they're not 
I think sack numbers versus pressures are completely are a completely different conversation. I think that they are applying pressure, especially when you were talking about having before Taquan Graham was placed on IR. I thought he did a really good job of shrinking the pocket for quarterbacks and and kind of causing some errant throws because quarterbacks aren't setting their feet and, and or they're kind of forcing something that's not necessarily there and. I'll say that I think that those don't show up on a stat sheet. And I think that is where it kind of gets misconstrued that even if there's, you know, the sack numbers aren't there, everybody's looking at the sack numbers and it's like that, but that doesn't to me tell the entire story of what a defensive front is able to do. Now, all of that to say, yes, you would like the sack numbers to increase, but I think it's interesting because even in saying that, I think that you have seen progress with this defensive line. I've, I've been very, very pleased with the progress of Arnold Ebiketti and what he has been able to do over the course of the last two games, especially. I know he went out and didn't come back in last Sunday, and you kind of hope to see that he maybe is limited in practice this week and can get back out there before uh, the Steelers game, but if not having the bye week and, and resting. But even if he's not sacking the quarterback, what he is doing coming off the edge is impacting the game. And I think I don't want people to get like super, super bogged down and, oh, the, the sack numbers aren't there when there is the, there is pressure applied that doesn't show up technically on the stat sheet. And, and so I, I think that can kind of get a little convoluted and overlooked, but it's still really, really important because you do think about how young this defensive front is and what they ha- are having to do piecing together with guys who were – free agents and and their young signees and guys who were bubble players that are playing alongside Grady Jarrett plus two rookie outside linebackers. I mean, these are, these are some young, young guys, some inexperienced up front that kind of, I think makes it, makes me not overly concerned about those sack numbers. Tori, your colleague Scott Bear had tweeted out the idea that Elijah Wilkinson could potentially be back at practice this week. And obviously left guard's been, you know, with, with Wilkinson out, it's been, you know, obviously a, you know, just kind of a, a merry-go-round of guys that are starting out there. But, you know, we, we kind of talked about Jalen Mayfield, and we're getting to the point where I believe next week is where it's do-or-die time. Either they're going to have to put him on IR yeah. for the rest of the year or they're going to have to activate him to the roster is that going to be influenced by if Elijah Wilkinson can come back? I mean, where do you think we kind of stand with where we're at with our left guard situation? Yeah, I definitely think that it will stem really and truly by where Elijah Wilkinson is. If Elijah Wilkinson is as close to 100% as he can get, then I think that kind of changes what you feel like you can do with Jalen Mayfield. Now, if Elijah Wilkinson practices this week and re-injures something or, uh, you know, isn't full full go, ready to go, then maybe you do kind of move forward with Jalen Mayfield. I mean, there hasn't been a lot said on the progress that Jalen Mayfield is making in that injury recovery and how he's feeling and all of that. Something that he talked about in the locker room not too long ago was that he needed to get his conditioning up. And so, it, when you're talking about conditioning as a lineman, that type of conditioning is very, very different than just going out and running around. Like it's very different. And I think getting him to game level conditioning was something that was really going to be a process. Now I 
but even in saying that, I think that if I'm making the decisions, I would much rather see a 75, 80% Elijah Wilkinson in there. And what that means for Jalen Mayfield, I think it's kind of up in the air because then you have to use a roster spot on him because he's coming off of IR. And so there are a lot of moving parts and it wouldn't surprise me if Elijah Wilkinson getting back to a hundred percent kind of shift the, the overall timeline for Jalen Mayfield. Last question, Tori, just uh, about 45 seconds left. Um, Ebba Katie, we talked about, you know, obviously limited in practice last week, got in the game, did play a little bit, but that forearm injury pulled him out of the game and he did not come back. Expectations that he is on track, and I know we'll know tomorrow with practice more, but certainly we just talked about, you know, the lack of pass rush. Can't afford to not have him on the football field. Right, yeah. It'll be really important to get him. We talk about Elijah Wilkinson getting back to 100%, getting – Arnold Ebiketti back to 100% will also be, gosh, equally, if not more important. And I I think that they're really going to look at it this week. You know, he's limited last week and, and couldn't really go full go on Sunday. With the Steelers in town and a bye week after that, it wouldn't be surprising to me if they kind of are a little bit more conservative with him this week and maybe in, even into Sunday. Uh, but we'll, I think we'll know more about what he can handle as the week of practice goes on, but it wouldn't surprise me if they're like, you know what, we're this close to the bye week. Let's get him fully, fully healthy for the, the final few games of this season. At Tory underscore McElhaney on Twitter, you can find all of her work at AtlantaFalcons.com, and Tori joined me here on the WaitFor.com hotline. Tori, as always, appreciate it. Thanks for jumping on a day early. We will talk again next week. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. John Chuckery will be back. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey.com app.